0: Як умру, то поховайте мене на могилі, серед степу широко на країні милі, Щя плани широко полі і Дніпро і кручі, було видно, було чути, як реве ревучі, Щя широко полі. Дніпро і кручі було видно було чути, як не берегу, як понесе з України, осинє море, кров ворожу, а той і лани, і гори, все покину і полину до самого Бога. Домолитися, а до того, я знаю Бога. Все покину і полину до самого Бога, Буду а до того, я не знаю Бога. Поховайте та вставайте, хай дани горіти, і вражую you cry you мене
1: Ukrainian singer by the name of Dmytro Bohush and the famous poem by Tarashevchenko, Ukraine's bard, "Zapovit" (My Testament). Dobrý večer, rádio sluchajte a vitajte vás všich na Holos, rádio křesťanského kurína, na pohádou rádio AM 1320 CHMB v Vancouveri. Při mikrofoni Pavlína, díakujuš chodíš shleperbu tezímnojú na Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Paulette Demchik-McQuarrie, Pukarinska Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. On today's show, we'll have a nod to Ukraine's national bard, Taras Shevchenko. This is March and uh, it is uh, the year of his birth and his death um, back in the 19th century. So in this century, uh, especially given world events right now in Ukraine, we are continuing to honor his memory. And today we'll be doing so with song and the spoken word. As well, uh, Monday is Purim for Ukraine's Jews and Jews around the world. So we'll give a little bit of uh, background on that and uh, an update on how Purim is being observed in Ukraine this year. So stay tuned for all of that. We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. Uh, in the first half in particular, it will be honoring Shevchenko, so it'll be music set to his poetry. And up next is the Ukrainians from Leeds, England, and this is from a recording made back in the 1990s, our first, I think. And it is more of Taras Shevchenko's immortal words, and this is Uchita Sebra Temoyi, which translates as, Learn, My Brothers.
2: Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Sherchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for the past 60 years. Since 1963, the Sherchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing artists and arts groups, museums, cultural centres, education, as well as authors, journalists and the Ukrainian-Canadian media including this program. The foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Holos listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit www.shirchenikofoundation.ca.
1: Ukraine is under deadly attack, and Ukraine War Amps is asking for your help with a tax-deductible donation today. Funds are desperately needed by Ukrainian defenders for bulletproof jackets, helmets, walkie-talkies, food, water and gas, and by civilians, including children, for food, water and medications and, when possible, escape to safety. Please donate today to Ukraine War Amps via PayPal, e-transfer to ukrainewaramps at gmail.com or visit ukrainewaramps.ca. Popular Ukrainian group called Fata Morgana and more of Shevchenko's words. That song was Oichahor, Tesh Pochornilo Pole, and that translates as Green Fields, Why Did You Turn Black? Up next is a recording from a YouTube video, and it is called The Surf Who Founded a Nation. How Tara Shevchenko, who lived from 1814 to 1861, went from being a serf to becoming Ukraine's most important poet, giving a voice to the Ukrainian people. It's with Dr. Rory Finnan, University Senior Lecturer or Associate Professor in Ukrainian Studies at the University of Cambridge. It is from a series called 10 Things Everyone Should Know About Ukraine, made by the Ukrainian Institute London, in partnership with the Ukrainian Institute and the Photo and Sound Archive of Ukraine. It will be followed by a recitation by Bono of the rock group U2.
3: Every group, every society needs heroes. We need figures who uh, warn us away from cynicism. And the danger with heroes is that we reduce them to one message or one event We need to release Shevchenko from that. This portrait behind me of um, the African-American actor Ira Aldridge. Shevchenko was a great admirer of the actor. He painted Ira on the fly in a kind of impromptu setting having seen Ira Aldridge perform Lear in St. Petersburg at Marinsky Theater in 1858. Aldridge sits down, he is squirming and laughing, driving Shevchenko absolutely crazy. Shevchenko keeps very sternly asking him to uh, stay still. He's using his interpreter to convey the message. Aldridge will not comply. At one point he asks if he can sing, and then he gets up and starts singing and dancing around the room. Shevchenko is so invested in his portrait um, that he doesn't take to this quite well straight away. But within minutes, up he springs, uh, dancing himself, singing Ukrainian uh, folk songs with Aldridge. And what I love about this episode is immediately it brings us away from this figure that we see ossified on granite pedestals on Mm -hmm. statues around the world. And we have a portrait of the artist himself and this vibrant individual is brought to life in that kind of episode and Aldridge draws it out of Shevchenko. Shevchenko was born a slave, born a serf, um, the property of another individual and who at the age of 24 um, is freed from bondage. The owner was named Pavel Engelhardt. So Engelhardt was was used to taking advantage of of Shevchenko's gifts as an artist, and he could see the interest that these other artists in Petersburg um, had towards Shevchenko. um, So asked a princely sum in return. So what these artists um, did was organize an auction and use the proceeds from that auction to free uh, this 24-year-old artist. Shevchenko has had such a personal, intimate knowledge and exposure to systemic oppression. In the middle of the 1840s, he returns to Ukraine as a member of an archaeographic commission to draw the various sites in the Ukrainian lands of archaeographical interest. And when he returns to Ukraine, he sees a place that has uh, been left to rot, in his view. And this is when he writes some of his most, let's say, politically radioactive poetry. Um, This poetry was not meant for publication, but around this time he joined something called the Cyril and Methodian Brotherhood, the group of individuals who believe very much in the ideals of freedom, who believe in the uh, liberation of the serfs, the education of the peasantry. He is arrested after um, a certain Petrov was listening through the wall at what these members of the Cyril Methodian Brotherhood were saying. Around the time of his arrest, he begins to write highly confessional lyric poems. So Shevchenko encourages us as readers to reorient ourselves to language entirely. Shevchenko actually employs repetition in such an audacious way that he seizes on the word znovu again in a poem that he's writing at a time when he's encountering years of exile, years of punishment for writing poetry in the first place. And he writes this. A numo virshuvat, nishkom, nishkom. knižkom. A numo znovu, poki novinko na osnovi, starinku božo A Lude idoliu proklinati. This use of znovu over and over again, his conversational tone. In a poem, you really feel like he's speaking to you, that he's calling you aside, specifically you, and confessing something deeply personal to himself. It comes so organically to Shevchenko that it produces this intimacy that frankly, sometimes feels uncomfortable when you're a reader. These texts reveal a openly broken individual who sometimes speaks of a very violent past and present, who saw a lot of suffering, who saw a lot of violence himself. But for me, I think the the, the poetry that that can give us um, moments of contemplation, particularly now in this world we live in, are these more lyrical poems that bravely expose an individual with complex ideas contradictory thoughts and is content to let those contradictions exist and flourish. There's a very sad irony that Shevchenko died um, effectively only weeks before serfdom was abolished in um, the Russian Empire in 1861. But the refrain, I think, that um, most typifies Shevchenko's own attitude to this failure of the present is, That is, things have passed, things have transpired, but not all is lost. It's not all gone. There are new people coming to renew the promise of the past for the purpose of the future. And that keeps coursing through Ukrainian society. And if it does, I think, in terms of civil society in particular, it will remain robust, healthy, and vibrant.
0: Taras
4: Shevchenko's My Friendly Epistle To the dead, the living, and those yet unborn, My countrymen and all who live in Ukraine and outside Ukraine. If a man say I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. 1 John 4 Here we are now. Day dawns, then comes the twilight grey, the limit of the live-long day. For weary people sleep seems best, and all God's creatures go to rest. I only grieve like one accursed through all the hours, both last and first. Sad at the crossroads, day and night, with no one there to see my plight. No one can see me, no one knows me. All men are deaf, no ears disclose me. Men stand and trade their mutual chains and barter truth for filthy gains committing shame against the Lord by harnessing for black reward people in yokes and sowing evil and fields commissioned by the devil and what will sprout you soon will see what kind of harvest there will be come to your senses ruthless ones O oh, stupid children, folly's sons, and bring that peace-filled paradise, your own Ukraine, before your eyes. Then let your heart, in love sincere, embrace her mighty ruin here. Break then your chains, in love unite, not seek in foreign lands the sight of things not even found with God above, still less in lands that strangers love. Then in your own house, you will see true justice, strength, and liberty. And in your own house, you will see true justice, strength, and liberty.
1: Up next, more from the Holos Audio Archives, uh, the music uh, library anyways. And this is a group from Montreal called Chetamshena, a popular girl group back in the 80s, 90s. Still around, uh, not recording anymore, but I understand still performing in churches and so forth. And over those years, they put out many wonderful recordings and albums, fortunately, for those of us who love Ukrainian music. And here they are now with Words of Shevchenko, Stoit Yavir nad An Ash Tree Stands Above the Water. a brand new recording, Hot Off The Press, and I believe it is a scoop. I think Nosh Hollis is the first probably to put that song to air. That is by... Um one of my favorite groups from Montreal, another one from Montreal. Uh, they are called Previt. And that was sent to me just last week by one of the members of the group, Roman Kostek. And that was him singing along with another new member of their group by the name of Marianne. And that was Nelubete Tebe Nemoshne. And that translates as, It's impossible not to love you. And that is the uh, lyrics of another poet who was... Maltreated by the Kremlin, a little more recently from the 20th century. His name was Vasil stus and we'll be sharing more information about that poet uh, later on when we share more music from Previt's brand new album, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to speak with Roman about the album as well as the poet Vasil stus And incidentally, if you're not familiar with Previt's work, all of the lyrics of their songs on all four now albums are the works of Ukraine's persecuted poets. So stay tuned for that in the weeks ahead. Up next, Peace in the Service of War. This is a short commentary from an organization called EU vs. Disinfo. It was formed in 2015 in Brussels to defend Ukraine on the propaganda front of Russia's war against Ukraine. It's a look at what is essentially war propaganda from the Ukrainian point of view, a point of view that is for the most part notoriously overlooked in the Western media, both legacy and social media, on both sides of the political spectrum.
5: Peace in the service of war. Worn-out disinformation tropes cannot disguise the cynicism and real intentions behind the Kremlin's special peace operation. Last week marked one year since Russia launched its unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Ukraine. As we had anticipated, Putin's address to the Federal Assembly of Russia on the 21st of February was a mind-numbing mix of Kremlin newspeak. The speech included historical revisionism for political purposes, lies to justify unjustifiable aggression, and a desperate attempt to frame the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a fight against NATO and Western powers. Putin's hollow words failed to explain away how the Kremlin's machinations have been constantly proven wrong during the past year, apart from their own delusions and a constant barrage of disinformation, deceitful manipulations, and lies. Unable to provide the citizenry with any inspiring future outlook, the Kremlin resorted, not surprisingly, to celebrating the blood-stained invaders with worn-out Kremlin disinformation tropes. Embed slash embed. Special peace operation. As we have reported time and again, the Kremlin continues its cynical exploitation of peace. In Kremlinese, the word peace equals a thinly veiled way of demanding that Ukraine surrender, give into occupation, lose sovereignty, and accept Russification. At the same time, the Kremlin aims at misleading and distracting Western audiences unaware of the real Kremlin intentions behind their peace talks. Meanwhile, China published a 12-point position paper on the political settlement of the Ukraine crisis on February 24 to a cool reception. China still fails to acknowledge Russia's role as the aggressor and tellingly keeps using the word crisis to describe the devastation in Ukraine instead of a much more accurate word, a war. However, the paper did not fail to convey barely disguised criticism against the U.S., NATO and the West with references to the alleged politicization of humanitarian issues, the use of sanctions, and the weaponization of the world economic system. The Chinese paper also made references to the need to abandon Cold War mentality and to chemical and biological weapons, echoing accusations frequently used by Chinese state-controlled outlets and the pro-Kremlin disinformation outlets alike, throughout the past 12 months, and beyond. Chinese and Russian FIMI ecosystems sitting in the tree. The Chinese FIMI ecosystem was clearly primed for the paper's publication. Chinese diplomatic channels on Twitter, embassies around the world, and Chinese state-controlled outlets quickly and expectedly amplified the paper and its multiple translations. Resonators and other Chinese ecosystem members also chimed in and converted the paper into image postings, Facebook posts, and Quora postings and replies. The Russian information manipulation ecosystem was also quick to jump on the bandwagon and amplify the Chinese paper, which got a wide circulation in Russian official propaganda channels such as the German edition of RT and Sputnik International. We have reported about the collusion between Chinese and Russian manipulative actions before, including on the recently published First Year’s report on FIMI threats. EU High Representative Josep Borrell made clear in his UN General Assembly statement and an accompanying blog post that for a just peace to take hold in Ukraine, the sole aggressor, Russia, must stop its attacks, cease all its hostilities, and withdraw all its military assets from Ukraine, immediately, completely, and unconditionally. Other pro-Kremlin lies that tried to infiltrate our minds this week. The US is waging the Ukraine war, so Russia should negotiate with it. This little piece of disinformation has lots packed into it. First of all, it attempts to frame the ongoing war in Ukraine as between Russia and the US, instead of it being naked Russian aggression against Ukraine. Secondly, it suggests the US would go ahead and negotiate with Russia without Ukraine or its Western allies. Such a claim attempts to drive a wedge between Western allies, so unfounded fears between Ukraine and its supporters, and prop up the delusional self-image of Russia as a power on a par with the US. The European Council made it clear in their statement that the future of Ukraine is for Ukrainians to decide and that the European Union will continue to support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Ukrainian nationalists are planning a false flag operation in Transnistria, Moldova. No, they are not, but we should be wary of Moscow's moves due to the claim, as they have a long history of staging false-flag attacks and fabricating false evidence. Youth Disinfo also wrote about Kremlin false-flag claims which preceded the Russian full-scale invasion last year. Lastly, to confuse Ukraine's allies, the Kremlin continuously attempts in their disinformation to frame Ukrainians and Ukraine with deceiving and false narratives, such as Nazi Ukraine and aggressive Ukraine. Spanish national strategy on weapons of mass destruction adopted out of concern about corrupt Ukraine. This disinformation piece targeted Spanish-speaking audiences and tried to tie a completely unrelated Spanish government process to recurring Kremlin disinformation narratives about corruption in Ukraine, Western military support ending up in the wrong hands, and Ukraine contemplating the use of chemical or biological weapons. The goal for such lies, proven wrong several times, is to attempt to erode support for Ukraine by painting support as morally questionable.
1: And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage on Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Purim is a holiday Jews observe in memory of an ancient Jewish victory. In Sephardic Hebrew, it is pronounced Purim. In Ashkenazic Hebrew, Purim. Most English speakers in the West pronounce it Purim. The story of Purim is recounted in the Book of Esther in the Bible. It's a story of treachery and warfare in ancient Israel, but it has eerie parallels with the bloody 20th century in Europe, and sadly, again in the 21st. About 2,500 years ago, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. He banished the Jewish people from Israel to Babylonia. Fifty years later, Babylonia was defeated by Persia, the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time. Achashverosh was the second Persian king, also known as Xerxes the Great. One day he threw a lavish party and ordered his queen, Vashti, to dance at the extravagant feast. She refused, which infuriated the king. On the advice of his counselors, he deposed and banished her, as an example to other women who might be emboldened to disobey their husbands. The king now needed a new queen, so he sent his men in search for someone even more beautiful than Vashti. In the capital city, Shushan, A Jewish orphan named Hadassah lived with her uncle Mordecai, the leader of the Jews. She was kind and gentle and very beautiful. When the king's men came for Hadassah, Mordecai said to his niece, Don't be afraid. Go. But don't tell them you're Jewish. Use your Persian name, Esther. God will watch over you. As soon as the king saw her, he was struck by her beauty and promptly chose her as his new queen. Esther kept her secret but did not forget her Jewish faith. To help her keep track of the days and remember which day was the Sabbath, she appointed seven maidservants, one for each day of the week. Every day Mordecai sat outside the palace gate waiting for a visit and news from Esther. One day he overheard two men plotting to kill the king. He told Esther, who revealed the plot to the king and saved his life. Mordecai's act of kindness was preserved in the Chronicles of the King. Soon after, the king appointed Haman, the richest man in the kingdom, as his viceroy or prime minister. He was now the king's second in command. Haman wore a large medallion engraved with a picture of an idol. All the king's subjects were ordered to bow down to Haman. Everyone did, except Mordecai. A Jew is forbidden to worship or honor idols. Haman was furious. When he found out Mordecai was Jewish, he plotted to kill not just Mordecai, but all the Jews in the empire. Meanwhile, Mordecai learned of the plot and shared it with Esther. Risking her own life, she revealed her Jewish heritage to the king and Haman's diabolical plot to have her and her people killed. The king ordered Haman to be hanged on the very same gallows Haman had built for Mordecai. Mordecai was promoted to Haman's high position and Jews were granted protection throughout the land. The king also allowed Mordecai and Esther to write a decree allowing the Jews to defend themselves from attacks. As a result, on the thirteenth day of the Hebrew month Adar, the Jews defeated five hundred of their enemies, including Haman's ten sons, who were hanged in Shushan. Purim is celebrated on the fourteenth day of Adar, the day after the Jews emerged victorious against Haman. Mordecai and Esther called the holiday Purim, which literally means lots, because Haman cast lots to determine the date he would carry out his genocidal plan against the Jews. To the Jewish community of Ukraine, Stalin and Hitler are the two Hamans of the 20th century. Like Haman's ten sons, in 1946, ten of Hitler's top associates were put to death by hanging. An 11th Nazi, Hermann Göring, committed suicide the night before the execution a parallel to the suicide of Haman's daughter. There are rumors that Goring was a transvestite, making that an even more accurate parallel. In 1953, like Haman had done centuries earlier and Hitler had done just a decade ago, Joseph Stalin was planning to mass murder all the Jews in his empire. Stalin had a visceral and vicious hatred for Jews. After he realized, in 1948, that Israel would not be a Soviet colony, his hatred escalated. He liquidated all Jewish cultural institutions and publications. He had Jews arrested on false denunciations, carried out mass firings of Jews and mass executions of professionals, including doctors. All over the Soviet Union, anti-Jewish meetings were being held. Stalin's plan was to deport 2 to 4 million Soviet Jews to Siberia and leave them there to die of starvation, hypothermia, and disease. In train stations all over the USSR, train cars were being requisitioned to carry huge caravans of Jews to Siberia, beginning on the 6th of March, just a few days after Purim. But just as for Haman, the tables suddenly turned. There is a popular sentiment among Jews about a Purim miracle in the USSR in 1953. According to the story, a Rebbe was asked to give a special blessing on Purim for the Jews of the Soviet Union. They sensed the Jews were in grave danger. Instead of giving a blessing, however, the rabbi told them a story about the experience of a Jewish man who had been voting in the early days of the Soviet Union. He was apolitical, but all citizens were obliged by the state to perform the ritual of voting. The man heard people cheering for the candidate, hand picked by the state, of course. He didn't want to join the crowd in cheering, but was afraid not to. So, while out loud he was cheering, hurrah, hurrah, In his heart, he was thinking in Hebrew the words hurrah, which mean, he is evil. So, with Stalin in mind, the Rebbe's 1953 gathering began chanting hurrah. That very night, Purim in 1953, Stalin suffered his fatal stroke. After the collapse of communism, Ukraine's Jewish communities began to rebuild and reclaim their ancient traditions which on Purim include performances depicting the history of the holiday and the unity of the Jewish people, costume parties, circus-like entertainment, gift-giving and acts of charity, and of course, plenty of delicious traditional Jewish food, including kreplach, meat-filled dumplings often served in soup, and triangular cookies filled with poppy seeds or jam called hamantaschen, meaning Haman's ears. But this Purim... 70 years after death put a stop to the genocidal plans of Joseph Stalin against the Jews, another tyrant rules in the Kremlin. And he is doing his best to rehabilitate Stalin's murderous legacy by perpetrating a genocide on the Ukrainian people. Vladimir Putin is borrowing directly from the Soviet dictator's playbook in accusing the Ukrainian government under President Volodymyr Zelensky, who happens to be Jewish, of being a band of drug addicts and neo-Nazis. For Jews from the lands of the former Soviet Union, this refrain conjures up horrifying memories of life under Stalin during his final years in power. Nonetheless, this year Jewish communities throughout Ukraine are preparing for the second Purim since Putin's war on Ukraine began. Last year civilians were hunkering down in basements or bomb shelters during Purim. This year big festive gatherings are of course still not permitted due to the danger of a direct hit killing or injuring large numbers of people but religious locations have special permission for people to gather. So Purim gatherings this year will take place, but they will be smaller and more intimate. The war has ironically sparked a revival of faith for Ukraine's Jews, so synagogues are expecting larger-than-usual turnouts. This year's revival of Purim festivals, though, cannot mask the severe blows that the war has inflicted, physically and psychologically, on Jewish communities all throughout Ukraine. Purim is celebrated on the 14th day in the month Adar, according to the Jewish calendar. According to the Gregorian calendar, Purim 2023 begins at sundown on Monday, March 6th and ends at sundown on Tuesday, March 7th. This is Pavlina with Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, wishing Jews in Ukraine and around the world a joyous and richly blessed Purim. Until next time, Shalom. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Another of Taras Shevchenko's most famous poems, Dumemoi, my thoughts, and that was performed by Edmund Tenzubka from their album Pochatske beginnings, released back sometime in the early nineteen nineties. Na hadujuvisukite radio prasamu nash, halos radio nasha Hokoriņa, na bāhtu mūvni A.M. 1320 C.H.M.B. un István Kovári. Vrukach poeta heroia duja nebespechna zbroja. And our proverb of the week translates as the hand of a poet can be a dangerous thing. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. If you miss our on-air or live stream broadcast, you'll find the podcast link at our website, www.nasholus.com. There's also a link to our Patreon site there, and I do hope you'll support our work with a monthly donation. Well, our time is up, so to take us to the end of our program, we have Teen Sonsev from Ukraine and Yikale Kozakia, the Riding Cossacks. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Holos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich!